0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another fun, another fun episode of Conversations About. My name is Will, and today I get the honor and the privilege to interview uh, somebody I've had the opportunity to talk with about, talk with a little bit, hit the biggest brainsome about big stars and things like that. Uh, as we're going out of the Christmas season and into the new year in 2022, um, one of the things a lot of people do is they want to, for people who do comics and things like that, they want to start. So. There's a lot I'm going to do there. But, it, but anyway, I'm going to introduce you up to Kevin. I'm going to, If I slaughter your last name, I'm sorry. I know you just said it to me a few minutes ago off script. Uh,
1: Kevin Guillotine? Close. I, I get I get that a lot. So I either get Gillette, Guillotine, uh, lots of that thing is pronounced Guillot. So Yacht. it's very, it, and it doesn't make sense. You look at the way it's spelled, there's L's <laughs> in the middle. It's long. You know, I feel, I always told my kids I feel sorry for them because they, they had to learn to pronounce it too, right? So um, I get that all the time. I wish I was part of the Gillette fortune. I wouldn't be working today, right? So, uh, you know, if I was historically tied to the guillotine, that'd be a whole other matter. But, you know, hey, yeah. you, you, get, you, know, you get what you get for a last name, right?
0: I appreciate that. Uh, so Kevin is uh, uh, owner, starter of Ink Marketing. And Inc. Marketing is a wonderful group that goes out and it helps people start Kickstarters and go through the whole process from the baby all the way through delivery and helping get that out there to you and everything else like that. So for people who supported Kickstarters, today we're going to kind of get behind the back door a little bit. You're going to get a little glimpse of how the sausage is made. You're going to get to see the full thing. You're going to get a little little taste of how the sausage is made when it comes to Kickstarters and things like that. Because um, Kevin Kevin and his group have helped launch a lot of Kickstarters and, more importantly, helped launch successful Kickstarters. So what we want to do is really got to talk to him and kind of explain a little bit about how that happens, how that works, because we know a lot of people listen to this, have ideas they want to put out there, but they don't really know what the next steps are. So we won't know, let Kevin be a little bit of a lamp to people's feet today. So first things first is always, Kevin, we'd like to start off with origin stories. So we believe everybody has an origin story. You know, not everybody is born and and the, ends up being the last of an alien race on their planet because they killed the whole entire race and become lobo, you know, or... You know, they're not a person that, that wakes up one day uh, living on Earth and come to find out that he's part of a group of elite Saiyan killers that all come through. He just having to bump his head and forget that that's who he was, like Goku. But we all have origin stories. So i like to just open the floor up and let me share theirs, you know, where you grew up, did you got to as a kid. How to take us from the journey of beginnings to how you got to this point in life where you're at now.
1: Sure. Uh, and that's a great way to put it as far as the, I always compare a lot to the, the whole about baby thing too, because we usually have anywhere from eight to 10 Kickstarters uh, in the house. Uh, in our house, we always call it uh, because we treat everybody like family. So we just kind of say it's just a big extended family. And, you know, so everybody in that, in that grouping, uh, we may have eight to 10 Kickstarters running at once. So, you know, you think about all the stress of the, of the expected father and delivery room. Well, guess what? We're right there with you, but we're right there with you eight or 10 times over some months. So, that's the fun part about it, but um, the origin story is in the, the quick version of it because I am from the south, so I, I do tend to talk a lot. Um, the, the, the short version is, um, I was I got into comics uh, probably around the age of about ten or so. Um, I still have the very first comic that I ever picked up. Um, on uh, actually I moved it just to my desk recently. It was sitting on one side, but it was uh, uh, Warlord seventy seven, and uh, I had a very uh, I was very fortunate to be able to actually interview um ron rondell who was part of that book and um actually the rest of the team that made that book that i picked up when i was 10 i've talked to each of them um and i'm going to be circling that book around after the holidays and everybody's going to sign the cover of it which they're actually not going to sign the original book because i just can't seem to part with the one in our great wonderful mail system uh to to float that around so i'm just going to float around a a duplicate copy so i'm that they're very very nice and to be able to do that for me but um again, I picked up my dad had a bunch of surgeries, back surgeries, knee surgeries while I was growing up. And we didn't have, I come from a small town in the South. So in Louisiana, so we didn't have comic shops until I was probably 17 or 18 years old. So when I would go, when he would have surgeries, my mom would bring me to the hospital uh, to go visit. There was a, a gift shop. And, uh, on the way out one day in the gift shop, she brought me in there to see, you know, pick out a little something while I was there for the gift shop. And, um, it was either coming or going. I don't remember, but, um, it was it was a comic, uh, the the warlord comic, the DC comic is what drew me in, kind of a Conan figure esque on the front, right, and um, that that hooked me, man. I was hooked when I was ten and started reading and, and mainly drawing from them. Um, I've always been an artist all my life. I became a professional artist at sixteen, so uh, I always drew out of them all the time, constantly, and still do. And I'm actually I actually do covers and stuff now for for I've got a project coming up, so I started there. Well, flash forward to um, about three years ago, and um, I was working a, a job in Colorado, and I had two weeks on, two weeks off. So if my wife and I weren't hiking in, in the mountains or everything and, and looking around sightseeing, I had a lot of time on my hands. So again, being a comic enthusiast, um, I was, I'd always hunt around for good books, good shows to watch to buy books. Well, you couldn't find anything on Facebook. And if you did, it was a needle in a haystack or, you know, you're in a sea of things in Facebook, right, to find. And it was hard to find anything. And I was talking with a friend of mine about it. And I mentioned it to my wife and she said, well, that's your background. Why don't you just go ahead and, you know, build a better mousetrap out of that NSC live TV was born and it started off with five channels. And then I went around just like pushing a book, right? I went around and knocked on doors and talked to businesses and said, hey, look, we've got this comic uh, virtual TV station standing up. Uh, would you like to have your store on there? Would you like to have your toy store on there, your comic store, so on and so forth? Pretty soon five channels grew into 200 almost overnight. And now we're we're out there and we're, we're promoting books and we're showing books and we have people coming on selling live books. Then COVID hit. And I had people going, hey, you know, I only come on and, and pay for a package and I only come on twice a week to sell. What would it cost to come on every day? Because our doors are closed. We can't let people in. I said, you know what, we're all in this together. So there is no package change. There is, if you need to come on uh, every night, we'll make arrangements and add staff to do that. We'll just, we're all in this. Okay. And they said, really? And so I sent out officially a letter to all the channels and said, look, if you need to come on more, let me know. We'll up the schedule, we'll up the bandwidth, whatever we need to do to get through this. I've had tons of letters coming afterwards thanking me for being able to keep their doors open. And I mean, literally, or keep the lights on, so to speak, because the doors were shut, right? So these people are saying, man, you saved our family business because, and it's a team effort. There's a whole team that works for NSC and for Inked. And it, that was a feel good. That was a feel good to be able to give something back to the industry. Um, and uh, it and it's grown from there. Well, from doing all these channels and from seeing the activity and people with all these books, people started to talk about, Kickstarters and about how to fund Kickstarters and how that needed to go and with my background in marketing for 30 years and a background in comics for 30 years I tie the two together and saw the niche for a need Uh, we were and I say one of the first because everybody when they peg somebody pegs themselves as first man everybody jumps at them right and says oh no you were not the first I was the first because I beat you by 10 minutes I just say (laughs) we were we were one of the first uh, groups to do such a unique agency that is an agency of creators for creators. And um, there's been other people that have tried to pattern or or go uh, and try to put the same kind of thing together that we're doing, right? Everybody's kind of wanting to say, Hey man, you know, I've got an agency now that does that helps fund kick That's great. There's room for everybody. Um, We don't judge ourselves against anybody. We don't, we don't put our goals against anybody else. Our goals are our goals, Um, our our wants and our needs. um, And a way we satisfy customers is ours. We don't, we don't try to follow anybody else. Um, if nothing else, we try to lead the pack. And what everybody else does is their own thing. Like I said, there's room for everybody. Um, I wish there was more because that way more creators could get helped. The good thing is um, we were able to help bring 12 new creators to the platform of comics uh, this year. And we've helped be the marketing arm for over 50 campaigns. And there's not a whole lot of people out there that can say they helped, you know, produce 50 campaigns and when i mean produced i mean we helped market we are the marketing arm for over 50 campaigns and raised nearly over uh, or close to it's right at it's going to hit pretty close to the mark of a half million dollars for oh. the inked family so mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty happy about that okay so that's that's kind of the that's kind of a quick version of the story um young guy from a, a small town that loves comics um that became his path um i actually was inspired by um two people that are famous in the industry now who weren't famous then it's which is Steven Butler, who's an artist that is well-known. And, you know, um, uh, at the time I met him, he was just starting at Marvel. And, um, actually he's been a freelancer all his life. And I was, I don't know, I think 17, 18 years old at the time. And he signed a, a, a silver Sable one for me at my local, this time we finally had a local comic shop, the person with him, Peter David. And this oh, is wow. I say Peter David before he was Peter David. <laughs> so, um, I have a, a Hulk, a 377, the, the lime green cover Hulk, the Ooh. Professor Hulk, with uh personally signed to me from Peter David, uh, from either like 1990, 91, whenever the book came out. So that's around 91, 92, yeah. that uh, era where it was
0: David Peter David and El were doing their yeah. just just crazy beautiful stuff. Yeah. Oh. And
1: I've got to get I've got to get that cover signed by Keon too, because that that cover. It's If it's not a, a ten gem CGC, I'd be surprised. The book's never seen the light of day. Um, it stayed at a box at my parents' house for 30 years. I just brought it back last time I went, or two times ago when I went and visited my dad. Yeah. And um, I, I slid it out of its original deal, put it in a Mylar, and put it back in a box. And um, it's as bright green now as it ever was and, and just as beautiful and just as not a single spine tick. I mean, it's a, it's an awesome book to have.
0: I remember picking up the original. I was doing a summer job uh, and I picked up the original. Of course, I don't have that original now, but I've got it in trade form. Um, But yeah, I remember just how gorgeous that cover was. Just how stark, almost like like glow-in-the-dark, almost green it is for that cover.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm probably going to uh, build cars as a hobby. So I have a 1970 Nova SS that I'm finishing up and it might just be that color. Uh, Oh, wow. I'm between that color and orange. Kind of that okay. of orange, so uh, it's the co- coastals are total opposite colors. But it's going to be one of those two next summer, so we'll we'll cool. see how it ends up.
0: All right. So let's take it. Let's, let's let's take it from the basics. So let's work our way forward. Okay. So uh, we've talked, and a uh, a lot of people may or not may or may not know, I am planning on doing my first Kickstarter. Uh, what are some common misconceptions that a lot of people come at you with when it comes to Kickstarters? doing their own. It's their first one. You know, what are some things people come at you that you kind of feel like you might want to speak to?
1: Sure, that, that's a very good question, William. Um, The first thing is a lot of people, um, and I don't want to sing cliche, but, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? That is the biggest thing because um, they don't know all the ins and outs. And people think Kickstarter is a pachinko machine, right? You're going to drop in the, the marble or the, you're going to drop in something from the top. And it's going to ping pong its way down and it's going to end up and you're going to walk away with $25,000 cash. And your very first Kickstarter, you're completely an unknown. You have a bunch of unknown artists with you and you guys are going to go out and conquer the world. There is stages to it. And that's why we've helped been able to get these 12 creators. Um, one gentleman was a young man uh, from uh, Mexico. Uh, some others were from Istanbul Turkey, you know, in Turkey. Uh, another were is from, um, a little, a little country over there uh, in in Europe, and and I had to look up to find out where you know Lithuania even was, um, and and I used to know maps like the back of my hand. I had to say, where in the, is that still even a country? You know, but these people are all you know. We do a lot of work in, out of Australia, which it's tough to be. Also, if you're going to be a new creator out there and you're a new creator out of country, so to speak, if you're not in the U.S., you have even more hurdles to consider. Um, you're going to do better in the digital world than you will the print world. Australia, Europe, all that. It costs so much to ship a book from there. That's what you gotta watch. So one, one, one tip I'll throw out there for these new creators, consider finding a printer in the US with this print on demand, because now you can print the books you sell in the US and people don't have to pay all that extra shipping charge. That's gonna help you. That's what we've done for several of the books in Australia. I have context in Australia. Now we have print stuff set up, like we're talking with people over there trying to establish deals that way we can print over there as well. So it's a two-way street. So those are things to consider. You have to think all the way to the end user. And I don't think that a lot of the new people in the business think of that. They try to think of getting established, but they don't think of the flipping it around. And if you were a consumer, what might you need? What might you run into? And cost and shipping is the main thing. So be careful of that. The other thing is um, shop around with printers because right now printing in the U S printing anywhere, but especially the U S is tough. Paper costs are up. Printers are backed up. We have actually five Kickstarters that we moved that we're going to start in November. And you don't really, it's not a good idea to start a Kickstarter in December. It's just not, it's done. It's just not the best time. It's not the season for that. So we moved them to January because they were running into printing problems they were running into people didn't have people run out of paper Um, so when you're scheduling and doing your kickstarter you have to think of the season of kickstarter when to do it you have to think of printing how you're going to end up printing where you're going to print that kind of thing and you have to think about you then you have to start backing up you kind of departmentalize it so to speak you have to think about stretch goals you have to think about what things you want to do as add-ons how are these things going to fit in your box because you don't want to up the printing charge. So you want to think of stuff that's flat, right? So you want to think of stickers and prints and bookmarks and anything that will fit in that Gemini. And cause please, for heaven's sakes, if you're not going to ship in a Gemini, don't even do it. Because <laughs> I, I can't tell you, I, you know, I still buy books to this day all the time. And I had some books arrive from a Kickstarter the other day and they were, they came in a manila envelope. Oh no. And no backer board, so this this oh. comic was just just flip flop through and you've them, to you tossed it through the wind, us. right? Yeah, I no, no don't please God for sakes, don't do it if you're if you're not because your customers paying the shipping, and and Gemini's aren't expensive, and you want right. your book to get to them pristine. It's about that. It's about the end user. So that's why I say the a number one thing is people don't think about that. So please think about the end user. And and talk with somebody like us. I mean. We consult all the time. You can go to the website, uh, inked.marketing and, and ask for a solutions guide. We, we we email you out a PDF, it walks you through how the setups are. And if you like what you hear and you like the testimonials, what we've done for you know several books, give us a call, give us an email, we'll work, you know, we'll see what package fits your needs best. Yeah, because we're not going to stick you in a high-end package if you're a brand new creator, right? And we can't stick you in the low-end package either because it's not enough to get you, that's more of a maintenance package. So it's not enough to get you noticed. We want to fit you in the package that's going to get you out there and get you noticed. So we work through all that with people and, um, and just we start with their needs. So the main thing is think about your needs. Think about the customer's needs. That's the two things to think about. So needs is the main thing. If you, if you focus on that for your customer and yourself, that's you can't go wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I know here's another question for you. Now, you'll have people that will sometimes say, well, I've got an idea for a series. Um, versus the person that says, Well, I want to do a trade, for example. Is there a benefit to maybe doing those single issues and then working up towards a trade with more stuff?
1: There, there is. There's There's a gentleman we just talked to uh, recently, and we get this question all the time, and it, it's about story arcs. Okay. So if you can get your story arc completed in a one to four mini series, like most people do, or a one to three or something, but use a one to four um, do that, get the story out there. And that helps test market the story. It runs it around to see viability. And then you, you're building an audience the whole time you get there. And then you can get into the graphic novel phase because graphic novels are on their comeback. And, but the other thing that I I, I tell people to shy away from, try not to repackage something that was old in with something new. If you don't put anything new with it. Okay? Okay. And I just call that basically regurgitating what you've already done. People do it all the time in graphic novels, but in this day and age to stand out, you have to do that plus add a little bit more to it, you know?
0: Um, When you say add a little bit more to it, are you talking about maybe add additional stories that weren't in in the original print blog or you say do more prints, for example?
1: Uh, add Add more story to it, add more content. Don't just come out with the same content that you had before. Um, add something to it, either an additional story or, or start to tease about on in the story arc. Do something that the reader is going to enjoy. Um, and that's the only way you're going to capture back because you're not going to get the customer that bought all four that's going to buy the graphic novel just because it's a graphic novel. You right. have to find something else to add to it. Um, that's the tricky part. So, you know, that's something to look at. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can do, I, I always tell people, do a few you know, to get a feel for the market, build your audience, and then step into that phase. Um, we do graphic novels all the time. Um, but you also too, you can, if you want to do, you can step out with enough pages to do a graphic novel. You may finish your arc in two books. We just finished a series uh, for Monty Michael Moore to where he finished the arc in two books, okay. you know, granted they're 48 page, you know, graphic novels. So he's got the whole 96 in there for the arc. But now the book did so well, he's going to continue in other stories. So now he's starting fresh arcs in these books and he's only on issue three. So right. that's something to think about.
0: Interesting, interesting, interesting. So another question I'm going to follow up with and that you mentioned as far as people doing different arcs and things like that. Um, and, and I know I can't ask this and get a definitive answer, but what's one of your most, let's, let's just leave it to this year. What's one of your favorite stories that you've seen come across your desk that you that you guys helped out there?
1: Man, that's tough. And, and you asked that, and I'm looking up on what we call, um, and I can send you some pictures, but we call it the Inked Family Wall. So to the left of the desk and what you see when we do the podcast, which is over, it'll be over my left shoulder on the podcast for Comic Rottery, you'll see the Inked Family Wall. And it's something I, I talked about doing in the beginning and then looked up one day, and we had had over 40 books and we now have over 50 this year. So um, the wall is quite impressive as far as it's, it's nice to sit back and be able to say that, yes, we were a part to help all these different people. And that's why that's what we have fun with. So if, as I'm gazing up here on the wall, man, there's probably not just one I can look at. Um, there's a couple and I'll name them. The, the first one is going to be Local Hero. And that was just such a unique story uh, that Monty came up with. And that was his first book. Uh, to come into going from a uh, a cover artist into a creator role. Um, So I'd say that book, I'd say um, Amerikaiju, which is uh, uh, Edgar Paston's book. He's a toy creator that um, this was books one, two, and three. So he's about to have books four, five, and six that we're going to launch um, in January. It's probably going to be January 20th or 22nd. We just discussed that last night. Gotcha.
0: All three books at that same time?
1: Yeah, he did all three. He re- he'd written oh, wow. all three. So he did one through three. Now he's doing four, five, and six. Okay. So that's another way to go. Uh, those books did well. And that was one I, I, I like because um, we came into that one late. And and I call that triage work because he had, was going to do it himself, went out there, uh, in about a week to 10 days, he was at 500 and flatline.
0: Oh, wow. So 500 pages, you mean?
1: No, uh, five, he was at $500 and he, there just was no more in the book. There wasn't, oh, no. Wow. he couldn't, he had, he was, he, think he had a goal of, I think three or 5,000. I have to go back and look, but he wasn't anywhere close. And he, he was a week to 10 days in, he was referred to us. And we had to hurry up quickly, gather everything up, and re recount of market as far as how the direction of the book was going, as far right. as the look it, you know, and um, get it out to more people, right? Well, he made his goal, and um, that's that's you know, I've got one of the all, a lot of these books are signed to us. That's why we request mm-hmm. them. Hey, sign it to Ink. So he's got his book up, and then that makes us feel good because he, he talks about man, said if you guys wouldn't have stepped in. I wouldn't have made it. Same thing that happens for another book that's not here yet, which is about to be, is PTSD. And that's from Paul Gomez and another first time creator. Um, another couple books, it'd probably be um, Billy the Kit, which is from Justin Gray. And Billy the Kit uh, got picked up actually by Blue Juice. So it will be in comic stores uh, here shortly. Okay. And uh, so that book went from, and, and he is, Justin Gray is um, one of the writers from Jonah Hex back in the day so uh that's a good book sisterhood is a, is a great book um that's from richard boom and uh he is is uh one of the guys that's in the team for inked and uh, we work on kickstars together so it's good to see his book uh, up here it's good to see uh kara prime up here uh, which is from brian silverback he's a great guy um and then let's see what else is up here uh, blood bullets uh is a, is a book it's another book from monty and we just finished up the blood bullets two campaign and that's the one I was telling you about that finished in two in the arc in two books. So that's from, um, so that, that book went gangbusters. We just finished that out and it went uh, 600, me, 751 backers, which is a new record for him. Um, the record for the most backers ever that we've helped with a book is uh, Spicy Pulp, which is another one of my favorites. And that's from Justin. And that's in the 900s, just early, maybe 19s, somewhere 900 and something. Less than 920, but I don't remember the exact number. So, when people ask me a lot of times about um, that question about what's my favorite, and it's about how you judge it do you base it on quantity of books sold, quality um, of the story, quality of the art? What do you base it on? And we kind of divide it into several things. Some books I like because of the quality of the art, some of them I like because they did big numbers, some of them I like for the story. Um, so, yeah, that's a I can't just pick just one. There's There's several of them that for different okay. reasons
0: that I like. All right, so you, you get to, you get these projects, and I appreciate the fact you had multiples and you were able to really kind of talk about different ones. When you get these projects, are there pitches involved? Or do people pitch you, like, kind of the idea, like, this is what I want to do, this is the story that I'm trying to tell in this particular book, and maybe the next story is this story, and then the next story is this story, and so we're kind of going forward. Or are there more, like, pitches, or it's more like, here's what I've got, can you take this and work with it?
1: I've got both actually. Uh, people come in at all at all different levels. Some people are what we call um, titans of industry and they are seasoned veterans and they want somebody that's professional to take over the reins of marketing because they just don't have the time. And what I mean is they need to get back to creating and they need to get back to developing more stories. So we end up getting the marketing and we're taking care of the marketing. and That frees them up to do that or they need to travel or whatever they need to do. The other ones are hey, look, this is kind of what I'm thinking of. Do you think this will work? Kind of questions. And we're very honest about that. We can say, yeah, I think this is going to do well or no. You know, you might need to kind of form it a little bit. Um, and we also have editors on that are with us that can also do that and say, look, you know, we can polish this up a little bit. We can punch it up, punch it down, whatever we need to do, because there is an art to taking, you um, someone like the novelist, which we have a, our, our screenplay writer. We have a screenplay writer right now that we just did one Kickstarter and we got another one doing for another different screenplay. Cause there's a, there's a trend in people that do movies and screenplays and novels. People are moving to comics as another media. And, um, some people are good internally at taking a manuscript basically and turning it into a comic style writing. Some people aren't, um, so we can help them with that if they need to, and that got the wheels turning to um, open up what we're going to do in 2022, which is a um, creator services division, and that mm-hmm. means we're going to offer out editing, uh, pencilers, inkers, colorists, um, letterers, whatever you need, we can help fill in the blanks. And let's face mm-hmm. it, life life happens. You your your anchor his wife may be having a baby and then he's out of the picture because she's having it early and he's just out of the game or you have a, a, a letter that's out of country and then pretty soon something happens and you don't hear from him. I can tell you how <clears> many <every throat> times I get that story. I'm, you know, they're dealing with somebody and a lot of people do work out of country, but you lose connection sometimes with these people. You don't hear from them. You don't know what happened. You don't know if they they're even alive because you don't hear from them for months. Um, so all of these things happen. These are all true stories. So we decided to develop this creator services for 2022. So we're expanding there. Um, but yeah, you're right. People come in it with with any kind of pitch, so to speak. Hey, this is what I have. Do you think it'll work? Or hey, this is the greatest thing since Superman. Um, I've been kind of sitting on it. You know, what do you think is going to happen with it? You know, you just name it. There's everything under the sun. And we're like I said, we we floated around through the team. Say, so, hey, what do you think about this? Get feedback. Um, and just help it as a whole, because you want to see them succeed. We have a a 96.2 success rate of, of getting books out there because we have had a couple that just didn't make it, but you know, who's not going to after having that many books processed through, right? right. Um, we were hundred percent for a lot of time for a lot, a lot, a lot of months. And I said, this is not going to, we're not going to, this is not going to last. You're not, you never, it's kind of like baseball. You're never going to find somebody that's got the perfect everything on their, on their card, right on their stats. And, um, it's the in public that decides whether they like a book or don't like a book. Right. And there was, there was a couple that the, you know, you, we, we may say Bob has the best burgers in town, but if, but if Bob didn't have the best burger, the public's going to speak and they're not going to, they're not going to buy. They're them. not going to buy them. Right. No. So it's unfortunate, but those books, um, a couple of those books that they're having had some issues where we're, we're going the extra mile for these people. And we are look, saying, okay, let's, let's step back for a second and let's do some market research on this book a little further. Let's do some some focus groups and let's see what people liked or didn't like about the book. So let's help mm-hmm. retool it and then relaunch it. Um, so like I said, that's what we want to do. We want to see everybody's books be successful, but you know, it's, uh, it's some books um, really take in some books, you got to work a lot in the background to get them to take. It just depends mm-hmm. on the book itself. Um, they're all, like you said, children is a great thing because they're, they're like everything else. They don't come with instructions and they're all different. So yeah. Um, and, and then again, like I said, there's the triage work that's just, that's tough as well.
0: Okay. So, Kevin, the next question I'm going to ask is, now, I know that there's Kickstarter, and then there are people that decide to go, say, to Indiegogo. Do you have a preference for people to go to Kickstarter as opposed to Indiegogo? Do you feel like it's okay to go either? But sometimes yeah. what happens is a lot of people say, well, you know, as Kickstarter, if I'm not mistaken, does an all-or-nothing approach. It's you get it all funded or you or nothing happens. Whereas with Indiegogo, I believe whatever you get, you get. But then if you don't get the full amount, you know, then of course you're still having to produce this book for you know, how many people with a lot less to work with in most cases. And,
1: you know, it depends on the book because um, they each have their pluses and minuses. And there's several, there's several articles out there, there's several forums out there that talk about this. It's kind of a Ford Chevy thing, right? Um, if it's a brand new creator that's never had any kind of exposure whatsoever, uh, I lean more towards Kickstarter. Um, and you can actually test the market by alternating. Run a Kickstarter first, and then while the book's going to press, fall back into an Indiegogo right behind it and try to capture some in that market and then flip-flop back and forth. Of the same um, book, you mean? Of the same book. Yeah. Okay. You can do, you can do it in both platforms, one after the other. Um, I, myself, and there's, there's actually a third now called Zoop, Z-O-O-P. And, um, we have run uh, a few campaigns on that platform or helped run with, like I in the marketing arm, um, those campaigns were all successful in that platform. So they're, they're each, again, a little different Indiegogo has the thing to where they play with the percentages. You're going to pay a little more out if you don't completely fund versus if you do. So I also tell people to read the read the fine print of each of the different platforms. We'll again guide you through that process, but I tend to lean to, to lean more towards Kickstarter, especially for the new uh, customers coming on board, um, and even some of the Titans, because um, we'll try it on both platforms to see. And right now, it's kind of a, a kind of a four to one um, Kickstarter. You're getting four times the dollar versus Indiegogo, and there's some people out there that go, "Well, you know, I've seen Indiegogo campaigns do twenty thousand dollars." Well, yeah, but that customer is probably pretty well known. Um, and he's also done several, you know, campaigns before. It's not like he's new in the business. So he can jump onto that kind of platform. So, again, we just kind of fill the, the book out and see where they're at and then kind of recommend. You, again, can go on any platform you want. We had a gentleman that was, was, was really wanting to go on a particular platform. So that's the platform. Put him on, and we explain the do's and don'ts. And, again, it's your decision. It's your book. And we merely we advise in that sense. But I, I tend to lean more towards Kickstarters and, and we don't get anything from Kickstarter for saying that. We're not, a, you know, affiliated in that kind of way. Um, I've just from from doing so many books, I can kind of tell you what the pluses and minuses are like. Again, you know, there's several several uh, articles you can read on that as well. Okay, okay,
0: all right, and I appreciate that because I know a lot of times, like I said, you know, you you'll see some people say, "Well, you should really go here if you're new You should really go there." So it's good to get your input on that. So I'll tell you another, this. Every,
1: everybody's going to have an opinion. <laughs> Ask them if they've done anything or not. You know, that's what I tell good people. Point. Good point. I've got tons of people that go, you know, I got 10 friends that have all said that I need to go Indiegogo. Okay. Have any of them produced books? A couple of them. What about <laughs> the other ten. eight? What do we yeah? What about the other eight? Uh well, um, they've got some ideas. Okay, well, there's lots of ideas out there. You gotta right. you gotta put the thing out there and, and circle it around a couple times on the track to,
0: to see what it's gonna do. Yep, ideas are, are fun and are exciting. The problem is, is that ideas don't ideas by themselves don't get picked up by people. It's, you can't hold it's, an idea in your hand.
1: Exactly, and I'm going to tell you what, and we all know this, and again, the whole team is filled with creators. You can go on the ink.marketing right now and go to the team, and you to see everybody on the team. Um, but the cool thing about it is we're – from being, from all of us being creators, we understand that as a creator, you're basically a turtle on your back. You are exposing yourself to criticism. You're exposing yourself to, this is, this is your, your, your vulnerable spot, right? Yeah. This is your heart and soul. This is you putting out your creation and being judged, right? Being bought or not bought based upon, upon that. So it's, it's a very, it's a very, uh, emotional thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I, it is because if there is a lot of vulnerability and it's also the fact that, you know, the question is always in the back of your mind, but what if I fail or what if I succeed? Because yeah. if I if I fail, then I have to retool what I'm doing in order to make it succeed. If I succeed, then what am I going to do with that after the fact?
1: Yep. And we always talk about that too, because we talk about in the planning stages of a, of a campaign, what are we going to do after? We don't just want to just talk about the campaign. We want to talk about your long game, right? What is your end game? What do you, where do you want to be? Because you have to figure out where you want to be to map out how to get there. You can't just say like everybody, I want to be, I want to sell a book. i want to be successful. Okay. What do you want to do five years from now? Do you want to keep selling number ones or do you want to sell the whole arc or do you want to, you know, how do you want, because most times, like anything, like even in movies, the number two doesn't normally do as well as number one. Right. And they kind of pick up steam again in three, four and five. Right. Uh, kind of start going up? Or they're about Friday the 13th. There's like 100 of them. (laughs) So you got to kind of you got to kind of figure out what you want to present out there. Mm -hmm. And you may not be that far into it. Sometimes we have conversations with people. We present a lot of things and, and you watch the blood drain out of their face because they didn't think of all these things. And they go, well, maybe I'm not ready yet well, okay, well, at least we brought up some things to get you, to get the wheels turning. Right, right, and, right. And, and let's talk about when you are ready, you know, let's go ahead and move forward. But I don't want people to jump the gun. Um, I also tell people too, you want five good finished pages before you really want to jump out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the reason I say that is because it only takes us five pages to build our animations, which we've nicknamed Animotions because we're bringing these things to life. Okay. Five, five good unlettered pages is what we like and we can produce an animation from that. Okay. But, also, but also five pages is a good sampler to put into the Kickstarter to show people what the book is, because it's great to say, hey, look, I have this nice tin cup right here that you know I can sell you, but I can't tell you what the material is, and I can't tell you how tall it is or how wide it is or how deep right. it is or how much ounces you can put in it, but I have this nice tin cup you need to buy. People don't have enough information at that point. They don't know what the book is, or you can have this very nice cover. And nothing else. Your, your interior may be nothing like your cover. So mm-hmm. at least one cover and five good pages, and then you can think about getting into the crowdfunding world.
0: Okay. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. Do you mind if i pitch the thing I'm working on to you? For Go quick. right ahead. We, we okay. Walk through it. So the title of it is going to be In Harbinger's Way. Mm-hmm. In Harbinger's Way is a story about a man named Harbinger. Uh, he's a very large mountain of a dude and he's a warrior person uh think like in the era times things like that elves dragons orcs all that stuff and he's in a battle of a fight and all of a sudden this one person who he thought was part of uh the group he was working with ends up revealing he's a werebear he's been secretly infiltrating their camp for months to get information back to this secret clan of other werebears that have been trying to take these people out and so his best friend, you know, he's kind of lived by the motto of might is right. You know, my anger has a place in the world and I'm going to use it to, to right the wrongs in society. Even though his parents are very much parents of peace. And have farmers and they live off the land, all that. Well, he ends up losing a good friend these these bears his betrayal and in a bit of rage, he tries to go after this guy. He doesn't quite get the job done. He almost dies. He ends up crawling literally crawling into like a monastery area and there's a woman by the name of master ma who is the leader of this temple she brings him in they her and the group bring her in bring him in and think old Shaw brother 70s kung fu flick Uh, he's like you know "I, i i can't continue to live the way i'm living i must do something different she says if you can survive the week we'll consider it so basically, they go through this training regime of him learning that his strength is more about the internal strength, not his physical strength. His power wow. is more about his determination to do what's right in the face of others, to defend those who can't defend themselves. Not his rage, not his anger, not any of that. Well, then he ends up having to face the very same werebear who betrayed him, but as this new version of himself that is no longer just this rage monster. And so how he kind of has to deal with that and how he has to focus to now defend those who can't defend themselves.
1: So I would say that's kind of a to me hearing that that and and I hate the word elevator pitch. I don't hate it. It's probably a poor choice of words. <laughs> it's it's overused. Okay. Um, it's kind of like the, the elevator pitch word is overused to me. And the word is kind of like the when people use the heck out of the word wheelhouse. In, in 2019 what's well, not my wheelhouse in other words instead of saying it's not my job they, they felt better saying it's not my wheelhouse mm-hmm. I, I heard that on so many conversations and corporate levels that made me want to throw up but anyway um, this story seems more like a uh, and I kind of jotted down some notes as you were talking kind of a Conan plus Pitt plus Star Wars plus Game of Thrones it has each of those kind of twists to it so it has the the internal fight of my anger needs a place in kind of a Conan world. It has this monstrous kind of presence uh, of pit in this kind of Viking-esque medieval setting. Uh, It's got kind of the arcs of Star Wars in he's got to face his, his nemesis again, no matter who his nemesis is, could be related, could be not. And then it has this kind of this ongoing plot of game of Thrones, where it just kind of brings you from, from one, particular area to another so in a book like that you have some crossover levels you can actually market that book um, we we identify a customer base we have um, in our base that we built up over the past three years we have 7.9 million uh, possible viewers of a campaign in one area and then we have 15 point new in another so men male only is 7.9 male and female is a 15.2 so we take that book and, and that's in the paid advertising side of things. So we take that book and look at it against that structure because we basically put on paper what you and I are, which are, are comic fans and comic readers. We take that and we we've mapped it out. Uh, and that's something I use from older marketing that I've came up with, which is I mar- you know, marketed for banks, telecoms, casinos, um, you know, those kind of big marketing know-how as far as the breaking this down. And I take that and apply it to comics. That's, that's the secret weapon that a lot of other people don't have because a lot of other people in this business, you know, and I'm not slinging rocks. I'm just saying that a lot of people in this business that say, Hey, I can market your comic don't have 30 years of marketing like I do. And a lot of people on the team have 20 and 25 years as well. All of us together have a lot of knowledge as far as what works and what doesn't. And the team is spread out across multi-country. So we can tell you what's going to work in Europe versus what works in America versus what works in Australia there's there's people don't think about that either different story arcs work differently across the world um this is one that's more universal which is nice um and i would say this is one that i would build at least in a story arc style setting in like a, at least a one through four to, to test market how it's going to go um and you also have the availability to cross market, market towards a dnd setting um, and a, a gamer setting because we also have a gamers section of audience. That's another, I think it's another 2 million that's just in gaming. So we'll, we'll kind of pull from that audience as well and kind of mix it. So this would be kind of a mixed bag, kind of like a 75 comic uh, and 25 gamer situation. And within that comic, I would split that between um, the basic regular comic person and the person that's going to be uh, more into the, um, the Conan kind of medieval setting. Mm-hmm. So... That, that that's kind of the normal breakdown we do with people I know that's kind of a quick version but um that's that's how we would do that that's how we sit down with people and work through things
0: okay okay and i appreciate that and it's good to get, a, get an example of how that would kind of work and then also kind of how that filters out now you mentioned something real interesting a while back you mentioned you were a lover of like classic cars. yes so how did that start for you? I know we're kind of stepping out of the Kickstarter lane a little bit, but I want to kind of, get, you know, we also want to get to know the person we're talking well. Yeah,
1: well, it, it comes, it comes from, um, I think cars can be just as much of a canvas as a painting um, or, or a comic. Um like I said, I, I started at a very young age in both uh, comics and cars, but the tie-in together is art. So art, and again, I apologize for my allergies kicking in. But um, the uh, the common tie there is, is art and creating, right? And it's fulfilling whether you're creating a book or a painting or a drawing or completing a car. And um, which is, which is uh, I've always built cars. i built cars. Actually, I, I started building cars the same time I became a professional artist. Um, I started getting paid at 16 to do art. I started building muscle cars at 16. Um, took and went through college on art. I went into art college with an art scholarship, graduated college with a BA in liberal arts, went into advertising agencies while in college. And I would, before then, I would take odd jobs just to complete cars. <laughs> so I would uh, take the odd job, complete a car, and then just enjoy the car and then pick up odd jobs when I needed to build another car. So I built GTOs, Camaros, Chevelles, um, Transams, a lot of Transams, uh, sharp box trucks. Uh, and I have a few in process now, uh, even at this day, I still love turning a wrench, taught my boys how to turn a wrench. I learned from my dad. Um, and, uh, so I, I'm in the process of completing a 1970 Nova SS and that's a true SS. It's not, it's not a, just a badged car that says SS. Um, it is a true SS car. Uh, that car has been a uh, ground up, uh, basically love affair about, about five years worth. Oh, wow! and, um, yeah, it's, and i I liked that car, um, initially, but I really fell in love with that car from seeing it in, um, uh, what was that movie? Um, Death Proof. Okay. uh, With Kurt Russell. And that's a Quentin Tarantino thing. So when I saw that, that car in Death Proof, I was like, you know, I got to build one of those. So I picked one up, started on it again, just try to do it here and there as I had time. Um, of course, uh, Trans Am was smoking the bandit. That was the the car I drove in high school. I drove a smoking the benediction, um, Transam Am in, in, in high school um, nice. uh, a f- um, good friend of mine at the time uh, we made a promise to each other in the first grade I said look I'll build a car you buy the rig and he, he never bought the rig I did kind of ask him about that our senior year <laughs> but so that's where that comes from it's just a love of creating and I got a chance to talk with Bill Davis who is the designer of the bird on the hood of the Transam at a conference um and uh He, you know, he said he never knew that was going to become an American icon. He never knew that was just his project for the day. And uh, I talked to the creator, John Schnella of the car itself and and had a real good conversation with him and, um, and still have his his number and his Facebook and stuff and can, you know, can still talk to him. And it's, it's it's just, it's interesting to hear other creators talk about, you know, whether they're an architect or a car builder or a comic book writer or a novelist or a movie creator. Um, it's all about the art of creating, and that's why I still love the cars. It's still a creative outlet for me. Um, I'm building a truck for my wife. Uh, I did put together an 89 IROC for her, which is beautiful. It's all original. That's her daily driver. Um, Just had to change out the starter yesterday because, of course, it's a 30-plus-year-old car. Mm -hmm. Um, The car looks like it came off the factory floor. It's it's gorgeous. Um, So there's that. I've got um, two two trucks in process, which I kind of I kind of had to get back to where I just did one vehicle at a time. Uh, I don't have the shop anymore. When we moved to Washington state, uh, I don't, I, years ago, I sold, I had a 2000 square foot shop and I could do two or three at a time, but I just don't have the facilities here to do it. I've had basically a garage, right? So uh, I just work on one at a time. I've got two trucks in process, a 1972 short box truck, um, which is my favorite year truck. And then um, my wife has a 1969 short box Chevy, which she kind of talked me out of. So, I had the 69 truck I picked up in Georgia and I, I got it dropped off and the, and the truck was immaculate. I mean, I opened up the doors and the the, the the rails and stuff where the doors are at are all perfect. And oh, wow. without, without smiling, cause you never find that. So without, without trying to smile too big, I was like, yeah, I'll go ahead and take it. You can go ahead and take it off the trailer. Um, <laughs> you know, it didn't have a motor or anything in it. And that's the way I like them. Cause you know what you got to start with, you know, You're, it's, yep. it's all you at that point. Um, so I put my own recipes together for motors and, uh, Hers is next. Since I finished the Nova, hers is up next. And then her um, 69, my 72 is kind of taking a back seat. My 72 is in a thousand pieces. So, um, And then after that, <coughs> excuse me, I knew I'd end up coughing at some point. Uh, after that, um, I've got the uh, 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 78 Z28 uh, teardrop put all original car for her uh, that has the motor in it. And um, I bought that for as a wedding present. We got married five years ago. So Okay. All different styles, cars and trucks. It's just um, it's just the fulfillment of something I've always done since I was a kid, and I still enjoy turning a wrench, and, and it's just a way to unwind. Yeah, it's a way to uh, get in the garage, crank on some good seventies music, um, which I play a lot of times here in the studio, uh, and, and just as a background.
0: And so regarding to the galaxy soundtracks, are like your bread and butter? Are they? Uh, yeah, yeah. just it's all that's 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 such
1: a good soundtrack. I like that one. I like um, the Forrest Gump soundtrack. That's always got a bunch of good stuff to it. Um, I worked at a record store when I was a kid. So even though I was, you know, 18 years old, and I don't think uh, Music World was the name, but I don't think that you can have those anymore. I think Sam Goody bought them out. But anyway, Music Land, that was it. I worked at a Music Land in the mall when I was a kid. So as a kid, it was funny because that's before, okay, now brace yourself, everybody out there in the inter- internet world. This was before the internet. Okay. <laughs> so this is before. You could Google things. This is when you still, as a kid, had to go in high school to what they call, and again, brace yourself, everybody, it was called a card catalog. That was Google before it was Google, okay? You had to physically go to a drawer, pull it out, dig through these recipe-style looking cards and find what your book was, right? So that's how we all used to do research papers before before the internet. So anyway, we had this huge book. People would walk into the store all the time, hey, you know that song with the word love in it? (laughs)
0: <laughs> See, that's like
1: 10,000 sure yeah I know that one do and I we
0: stop in the name of love we yeah, yeah yeah is the, what love, love do with it?
1: yeah exactly What's so about? there's this yep. huge book it's <laughs> like the Webster extended thesaurus right and, you know and you were just come in you know like the and you know it was amazing you had to thumb through this book and you would have to like start searching names and you're like oh, oh that oh okay that print song with the word loving is that the one you're talking yeah yeah that one and you of course go pull the album. But you had to narrow down with this book. And I was always the one that could just off the top of his head. They're like, hey, you know, that song kind of goes like this. I'm like, yeah, that's um, that's on the Eagles soundtrack. Yeah, I got that over here. Or that's, you know, that's Tom Petty. Or that's, you know, because if you went to my 76 Trans Am out in the parking lot and opened up the console. And again, you guys, here's another, pulled out a tape, a cassette. I had that 70s tape. cassettes. Yeah, that car was a time machine because I had 70s cassettes in the center console. Um, I almost put an eight track in it. Um, cause I listened to eight tracks growing up. My dad had a, a table, uh, which was one of those cabinet stereos and a uh, man worked hard his whole life and he's, he's suffering for it now. You walked into this, in this huge, I mean, this thing was huge. It was like a dining table, right? There was a stereo and you'd push and click. it. It's like a hood of a car pop up. And they had all these bells and whistles to it. We had an eight track player in that. And he would come on and put on Charlie Pride, Charlie Rich, Merle Haggard, you know, the Eagles, all these 70s things. And um, his back would hurt, right, because he was a pipe fitter. So he'd lay on the floor and and just as close as he could get to the speaker. And he would crank that thing up. And that's what I got to enjoy as a kid was this 70s music growing up in this country and rock and roll and gospel and, you know, uh, R&B and just you name it. And um, so it stuck. You know, it still sticks to this day. It's still my favorite movie, you know, 70s and 80s music is my, is my time period. But um, that's where it comes from. And that's where that car creation comes from is that again, it, it's, a, it's back to my childhood. Comics is back, it's all traces back to you. That's where you look behind me. I know you guys are on the audio side and I'm on the video side on this, but uh, what, what, what William's looking at behind me is um, a whole rack of, of over this shoulder is He-Man and over this shoulder is Star Wars
0: i so, uh, say so it's like I
1: see Snake Mountain and Castle Blastoise. Yep, it's all <laughs> yes, it's there, it's there. Yeah, and I love the Mark Hamill version of, of of Skeletor. He just has such a, you know, he's such known now for such a, a voice actor. But um, but that's that's what that was my thing. You know, my cousin's thing was Star Wars. I didn't have a lot of Star Wars. My thing, if I wanted to go play with Star Wars, to go hang out at my cousin's house, which was two houses down from me. My thing was He Man. So if he wanted to mess with He Man, he came to my house. So that's where, yeah. um. We we that's how we were. You know, we didn't we didn't uh, that's how we grew up. And then if I wanted to mess with G.I. Joe's, I went to my, my buddy Bob's buddy house. He had all the G.I. Joe <laughs> stuff. So, um, and then you see, not over, I always gotta figure out which shoulder I'm at. Over um my right shoulder, you see way in the background, there's a comic book rack. And it's not the spinner rack. Everybody's like, oh, I gotta have a spinner rack. It's the flat rack. It's the flat rack because the flat rack is what I grew up with in 7-Eleven. Um short story real quick. I had to, if, if you like the work, if you like the movie or uh, the, the series stranger things, that was kind of how we all grew up. We all jumped on our bikes, right? As kids and we went and had adventures. We went outside, you know, we did things and um, we'd always grab our bikes and ride down a couple blocks to the seven 11, because again, there weren't comic shops. If we wanted a comic, we had to ride down a seven 11 and then you're folding up comics and you're putting them in your back pocket. So spine ticks, you have no idea what a spine is <laughs> 12 years old. You know, if you got if you got into ticks, you better go find a match to get it out or something, right? Yeah, that's what was right, a tick right. to us, right? want a spoon, what you know, and spine ticks, you're thumbing through the rack, pulling through books. You're probably caught. I probably caused 10 million spine ticks in my day. So you say, know, especially, especially with the spinner
0: racks, if the spinner yeah. racks ended the push the comics out warping in a warp, exactly.
1: Yeah. So so sorry, you guys, that one of the certain issues I probably, you know, may have may have bent them looking for mine. Though, so I do apologize. <laughs> but the, <laughs> but the this flat rack was, uh, was what I grew up with. That was what was next to the video games that I probably spent tons of quarters in was the, the comics. So again, I grew up with the, you know, the, the 7-Eleven that smelled like Clorox that had hot dogs burn in the background. And, and that rack was something that I thought I'd never owned one because those, those are expensive. I'm not going to lie. They're not cheap. Um, this one you see over my shoulder was um, someone in the area. I looked on the regular Facebook marketplace. They put up there for one amount. And it stayed and it stayed and it stayed. And I had to go look at it, right? You know, every couple of weeks and it dropped just to and check it dropped. Yeah. And it dropped and it dropped and it dropped. I'm like, I guess there's not a whole lot of comic fans in this area. And it just drop and drop and drop. And it got to where, like, if you don't buy it, you're an idiot. Like, I mean, right. it was just like it's it's I paid probably a fourth of what this thing is worth. And it's not like I, I mean, that's what they asked for it. I didn't beat them up on price, right? They offered it for that. And um, I finally got it, you know. Is I think it was a birthday present to myself, and um, I filled it with with comics immediately. And uh, again, this whole room—if you took my—if you took my head and shook it of my childhood and just splattered it up in the room, this is what every ten year old boy's dream studio would be. I mean, I've just seen some pictures. The front in front of me is covered with figures, everywhere from He Man, to Trap Draw to uh, Ray Fillet from the Ninja Turtles, to Venom, to Spider Man, to Iron Man, to Superman, you know, to Voltron. It's just it's figures. The whole background, anything where I don't need workspace is figures. Yeah. That wraps that wraps around a giant horseshoe desk. I've got a studio set up over here. The other part of the studio is set up on the right hand side, which is what does the uh, the podcasting for Comic rotary All that stuff is here, and it's just it's it's my dream room if I was ten or twelve years old again. So it's yep. it's a lot of fun. It's just and it's about creativity. That's where I, I draw my my energy from.
0: And so if you were able to sit down with your year old self and show him this, you could say you know. You see a lot of this when it first hit. Now you get to see the results of the things that we're inspired by. Mm-hmm. And oh awesome. my God,
1: I could I could probably put my kids through college with the if I'd have kept some of the original Legos in a box. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I make myself sick. I showed my dad the other day. I said, Remember that Lego set you bought me when I was like eight? He's like, Yeah. I said, Yeah, it's like we're $15,000 now in a box. Oh, wow. It was like a, it's, it's, I forget which one it was. I want to say it was like a NASA spaceship thing. And um, I don't know, I guess if they're rare or what the, I mean, I probably have the pieces of it, all of it still in a box in an attic somewhere at my dad's. But
0: my buddy of mine has the old school original, uh, remember the jetliner, the GI Joe jetliner? He has one of those still in a box.
1: That's worth some bucks, man. And,
0: trying to tell him that his response is well. If I ever decide to buy, sell it, and more importantly, if I can find a buyer, oh well, uh, trust me. Up. I'm like eBay, bro. Like
1: yeah. eBay, there is companies. Okay, I know of two companies right now, and this is free advertising, you guys. This is um, uh, one of them is one that we helped get into the uh, selling online world, um, which is Gnarly Toys. And that's in Denver. And since I lived in Colorado Springs for years and did a lot of business in Denver and did a lot of stuff with Bile High Comics and everything, um, they were one of the ones that we helped get into the online sales world. And they travel around the country now doing online sales. They'll go and buy you know, a bunch of stuff and then sell it all the way back to the shop. The other one is Attorney of Dreams. Those are probably two of the bigger toy dealers. And guess what? Both of them deal vintage. He-Man, G.I. Joe, Star Wars. That's their big
0: three. Okay. I was going to tell you too, you talked about old cars. Uh, if I could get one dream car in my life, it would get a Shelby GT500 because mm-hmm. my buddy HF introduced me to Gunsmith Cats when I was at seminary. Okay. Um, so that car is just beautiful. And apparently, there's a story behind that where the guy that created Gunsmith Cats moved to the US for a year, got his driver's license, and did all that stuff just so he could go and build the Shelby GT500. He built it from scratch, got the mm-hmm. kids and all that stuff, built it, drove it around just so he would have people take pictures for reference. So that way, what he did, the actual manga, he had reference photos from like the different things. Like He would go to racetracks and just get them out and go drafting around corners and all this different stuff. Mm-hmm. So that way he had the reference photos. But he was nice. just like, I know the shots I wanted to do, but I couldn't just go and find a movie that has all those shots in it. I had to create those moments. Yeah. And so he actually went and lived and came to the U.S., lived for, like I said, for about a year, built all that stuff, did all driver, because he had never had a driver's license where he was. And so he did all that just so he could do that. And I mean, I have loved that car ever since then. And then as far as music, you were talking about how I'm going to the record store, I went to a, I think it was a Sam Goody's or Tower Records in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And the first time I heard the JB's. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's the hook to a Public Enemy song. What is that? Who's playing yeah. this? So I ran up to the guy at the counter. I was like, hey, what's playing right now? He goes, oh, hang on just a second. I'll go to the CD player. He goes to the CD player. He's like, okay, yeah, it's the JB's Greatest Hits, man. It's right over there. And I was like, okay, let me spend this money I don't have. So I can go buy this CD because I need to listen to the whole thing. And he sat me down. I bought the CD. He gave me like, like – he was, he was like, okay, why'd you buy it? Why'd you want to get it? I was like, well, because that particular hook was from the old Public Enemy song I heard growing up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wait a minute, they sample that. What else did they sample? Whatever. Right. He goes, okay, so first of all, that's cool if you recognize that that was just from hearing it, walking in the door. So because of that, he says, we're going to give you a discount on the CD. It's going to be like $15.99. I'm going to give you two for nine. Yeah. Um, And then on top of that, we're going to I'm gonna sit down and educate you on the final points of the JBs. Okay. So it's been about an hour to tell him about the JBs and how they backed up James Brown for all these years and then they wanted to go do their own thing. And James kind of argued with them for a bit. And he was, was mm-hmm. just like, well, oh, you know, we got enough stuff we can do our own stuff with and without you. We yeah. have you with us.
1: Have you watch the movie? The movie's awesome.
0: uh get up off that thing. Yeah. Yeah. With Chadwick Boseman. Rest yep. in peace. Yeah. That was great. Great, great movie. I, I think my favorite part was the intro where he comes in on the pickup truck and he's just like, "You yes. do this in my toilet? Yeah. well, have, have you uh and that's and
1: again, they came kind out of all you know is, is is true story, real life stuff. Have you ever been to Augusta, Georgia? I have not Augusta, Georgia is James Brown's hometown, and um that town was about about thirty minutes north of me for about three years, and I would go there frequently, oh wow. Um, and uh, there's a statue of him. I've got pictures of in the middle of town, and um, just that's that movie where that scene happens was in Augusta, Georgia when that happened. Oh, you know, cool! He came in with the shotgun. So yeah, okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I loved all that stuff growing up too, man. That was uh, there's there's another couple of things we can talk about offline about a couple of different documentaries that are out there that you need to go check out. I will have to go remember the names of them, yeah. but um, they talk about um, sampling and they talk about some of the different styles of sampling. And um, they talk about, uh, uh, I want to say, and and if I misquote this, please, God, don't forgive me. I want to say it was a thing called auto-tuner that was about changing pitch. And yeah. it became a thing at one point, right? And, and some artists used it to make a different sound. And then some artists just used it to sound better when they did the recording. So you go see them live, you're like, wait a minute, that's not that person. But that's that person through a bunch of filters or through auto tune, right. which will change that put make their pitch perfect, right? So, well,
0: yeah. The, there, I, that it's funny because you mentioned that I think I saw there's a Netflix thing they were talking about that. Yes, there is. T like yep. Pain was on there and T Pain yes. was talking about how yes. it was share that kind of went out. The Do You Believe in Life After Love song. Yes, that is where it. He that's the one. Use the auto tune thing, and then like everybody was on it, and T Pain started using it. And, and then T-Pain just was like, just persecuted. Remember, T-Pain yeah, was persecuted Usher for it. came out and basically said you ruined R&B music. Yeah. And the thing about it was T-Pain can sing. The dude can sing all yes. out of a building.
1: Yes. And they they have him. He now goes. He now goes around. If you saw the rest of the documentary, he goes around now and sings just by himself without nothing, just totally a cappella,
0: and is blowing people away. They're like,
1: wow, you really can sing.
0: He's like, well, he was always on, he could. was a masked singer. And like was one of the best mass singers ever. They couldn't figure out who he was because nobody had heard what he, most people hadn't heard him sing yeah. outside of like the, the auto-tune stuff. Yeah. But The thing about it too was when he was doing the auto-tune stuff, he wasn't mainly even promoting himself. He was doing a lot of other people, including Usher. You yeah. Know, he was promoting, producing a lot of that music. And so it's just interesting when you hear about how that works. And it's cool to talk to somebody else who's just like, well, I'm interested in this, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, and, really- and, and-
1: and music always, you know, music and music and, and and visual art all ties together. I mean, it's it's a hand in hand thing. It's a um, it always has because both art and music can bring you back to a place in your life, right? You know, smells, you know, flowers and stuff that you people get flowers. Certain smells bring you back to a point in time in your memories in your life. Yeah. Um, movies do it, and movies do it through visual and sound. And then you might hear a certain sound on the radio, and it brings you back to your high school days. It brings you back to the day you met your wife, or you know, uh, sound moves you. You know, music moves you. Smells do it. Visuals move you, and that's all just part of that, you know, that creative spirit. So they all tie together. They all have an, an interlacing thing, and that's why on the uh, on the animation side, we came up with the animotions idea because. If you saw some of the ones, some of the samples I've sent, they tie music into the comics, and the comic tone, the way everything is set, is set to the music. So that's what brings, that's what helps bring them to life.
0: Mm-hmm. You think about, like for example, hearing the introduction to John Williams' Superman theme. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about when you're in the movie theater watching Superman for the first time, or you think about that that dance with the girl of your dream. You know, you're dancing with yep. them and. A song that plays as it played, and then you go back you hear that song years later and you're just like you're in your mind you're back at that dance you are you've know, you not spoken with that person in 20 years
1: yeah and, you know? and there's and in movies they do it you know action's about to happen because a certain you know that that wonder woman theme music kicks in you know you she's fixing to annihilate the world you know it's you know it's coming yeah
0: exactly so I, I want to make sure to respect your time. So I want to do this at this point. I could ask a thousand questions. We could probably go all day. Uh, but I know you've got things to do. I've got things to do. So we're going to begin to wrap this up. Uh, Kevin, please, please tell the people where they can find you. You mentioned the podcast a few times. You've also mentioned the, the, the different things you've got going on. So share with the people where we can go. And I'll make sure to have the, the links in the liner notes for the episode
1: Okay. Uh, the best way to hit them all is actually developed um, one main jump off point, uh, which has everything in it, which is called inkedpub.com. That's I-N-K-E-D-P-U-B, which is short for publication. So inkedpub.com. That's the main jumper we go to for, we tell everybody to go to because it has everything contained in it. It has the link to inked.marketing within it, which is, shows the gallery of all the different things that we've done for many, many, many creator, uh, creative creators. It also has a jumping off point for any live campaigns that are going right now. We usually run about eight to 10 live campaigns at any given time. So it has a jump off to go directly to there, which has in it housed the animations for the campaigns that we've done and direct links to those campaigns. So if you hear a particular campaign going like right now, I'm not quite sure when this is going to air, but Pistol Fist has a couple days left to it. The Bean has a couple days left to it. Excuse me, the Bean has about a week and a half left to it. So that ought to probably air in time. So if you want to, you know, which is a cool, awesome children's book. Um, so if you want to see any of these things, just jump to inkedpub.com. It also has in there links to Comic Rottery. And Comic rotary is it Comic Rottery, which takes the word comic um, and camaraderie and combines the two together. That's where the, the word Comic is a made-up word. Uh, Pump Man Do, they call it. Um, and that is our podcast show, which supports creators, which, you know, creators come on, give their pitch about their book. We show visuals. We, we bring in special Titans of the industry, we call it. And we've had uh, Kevin Eastman on. We've had Chuck Dixon on. Uh, Mighty Michael Moore has come on a few times. Um, all these big names. We've had Bart Sears come on. And in between all these Titans of, of, of industry episodes, we also have in their new creator episodes. We, we mix it up. So new creators get to come on. And, and when we have these big crowds for these, these main mainstream people, we're also talking about new creations as well. So we have a segment at the end that said, hey, look, let's go over what's, what's in the market right now. So inkedpub.com is the main jumping off point. Like I said, it covers uh, inked marketing itself. It covers any new book we have going on. It has the gallery for the old books out there and some other stuff coming up. And it's got uh, the jump off to Comic Rottery, which you can actually go on. Now also too, Comic Rottery is part of what we call the NSC Roadshow. And the NSC Roadshow was developed over a year ago and is a collection of about 20 or so podcasters that are all in and do comic shows. So we take new creators when they come on to ink and we put them on tour and they go through the NSC roadshow. So they get the chance to pitch out their ideas to a ton of comic based listeners, which is a great selling point uh, for their comic. And it gets a chance for them to break into audiences. they have never been before. Mm -hmm. We've had, we've had a lot of publishers come to us and say, man, our sales shot up 30% because we went with you. I was like, that's because we increased your audience you know, tenfold. You yeah. have a lot more viewership now than you ever had before because we've created a network over the past three years and we've built on that network and we keep continuing to build on that network. So that, that gives you a little bit of everything. We, we try to um, we try to make sure that we have the creator first in everything that we do. And therefore we also are adding on, and this is, uh, you're one of the first groups we've talked to this about, so spread the word, um, a division called creator services. So we're adding on uh, we've, got, we've already got the groundwork set up. We just have to just put it out there in 2022. But we have pencilers, inkers, colorist, letters, all that stuff that, are, you know, that we can hook you up with. So you can come to us like we talked about a little bit earlier. And there may be a piece of the book that you need that you don't have that we can help fill in that gap now. So you can come to us with an idea, pull from that and go all the way out the door with the printing and fulfillment services now that we're offering in 2022 called Vision Press. So I don't know how many other people are out there doing it, but we're one of the few that I know of that are completely turnkey that you'd come to us with an idea and come out the other side with a printed book. And with another service that we're offering out there, um, Indie Hub, we can actually put you in the doors of a comic shop. So you can come to us with an idea, get your book created, get it printed, get it fulfilled. And there's a chance you may get it on the shelf in a comic shop. So we're trying to be, be everything we can be for the creators out there. Okay. And I, and I definitely appreciate your time and, and, you know, want to know more about what we do. Uh, it's just getting the word out there. 75% of our business is word of mouth and that's this is the way we do it.
0: Okay. All right. Well, Kevin, this has been an honor and a privilege. Uh, like I said, we've talked a bit offline about different things. I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for letting us have a conversation about your business and Kickstarters and all that stuff. So to wrap it for you, what would be a message that you would want to share people that listen to this and say, I want to do something as a Kickstarter. I want to do something. What would be your message to them?
1: I would say go ahead and, and go to the inked.marketing page and go to the, the contact us. There's a quick little form in the back of that says, hey, who are you? What's your project? You know, drop us a line and we'll send you a solutions guide and go from there. I tell everybody, you know, we are the, we are the uh, ad firm that is built by creators for creators. So you're in the right place. Come to us and we can help get you, uh, get you noticed, get you out there and get you printed.
0: All right. Thank you so much for that. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, and guys, to you as well, as we're in the holidays, um, please remember to be blessed and blessing somebody, guys. Take care.